Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. In this week's episode, we welcome Molly Garcia, who is uh, full of life and joy and sincerity conversation. I mean, you'll you'll tell from the first time she answers a question, you know, how genuine she is. Molly's career has been spent entire career in education. She started off as a teacher in a low socioeconomic setting and worked her way up to leading a turnaround school in a similar setting. And now she works with us at Franklin Covey Education. She's a leader in me coach, but also she's the host of a really cool podcast, The Empowering Teacher. We dive into some really cool subjects today. We talk about her upbringing and how big of a role her grandmother played. We dive into uh, what it's like to help build a new culture in a school and go from you know, a failing school to a high performing school and what the key strategies are to get there. That, that was fascinating. She really dives deep into how do you implement the four disciplines of execution on the school level. And then at the end, we talk through uh, what I think is probably the most inspiring quote I've heard on this podcast, which is a bold statement to say. I can hear uh, someone in my ear right now telling me, you don't have to be so bold when you say it, but uh, I just challenge you to listen to it and see if it hits you the same way it hit me. Because it was, um, her inspiring quote was so genuine, so real, but uh, definitely put a mirror in front of my my face of thinking, how do I live differently um, to love and serve others? So anyways, it's a great conversation. If you've not listened to the Empowering Teacher podcast, after you listen to Molly today, I encourage you to go dive in to see how she's doing because she is an amazing, amazing person and she does a really good job hosting her own podcast. So as always, if you haven't subscribed, we appreciate your support. Please hit the subscribe button. We need as many supporters as we can get. We thank you for tuning in and enjoy this conversation. Molly, it's awesome to have you here. Thanks for making time to be with us. Yeah, it's a pleasure and honor to be here as well. All right. Well, as you know, the first question that we ask everybody is who are you and what do you love about what you do? Oh, Justin, that is such a great question. And and honestly, every time I hear it on your podcast, I think <laughs> that is probably a question we should revisit frequently, just as human beings, right? Who are we and what do we love about what we do? So it's really difficult for me to talk about who I am without talking about my grandmother. Um, I was raised um, since age of two by my grandmother, who um, had a third grade education. Um, shortly after inheriting me, she, I ended up living with my grandmother. She took custody because my mother was incarcerated. My father was nowhere to be found. And she, she, she was going to take me in and care for me and love for me with her and my grandfather in a very short time after my grandfather passed away. So my grandmother, third grade education, um, her life experiences were traveling in Texas from fields to fields, living in boxcars, found themselves in Arizona. Um, she didn't drive. She didn't have a source of income. The love of her life had just passed away. And she's got this bundle of a little girl with crazy curly hair in the midst of her arms. And it's crazy because when she would tell the story, Justin, she would tell it as if it was this huge blessing in her life. It was insane. And so I remember listening to it as a little girl, her talking about the joy that I was able to bring to her life. And I think of when I think back, I'm thinking, who would think that? Who would think? I mean, you, you're in the situation. How could you even believe that? And it was just such a testament to who she was. She saw beauty in everybody. She loved everybody unconditionally. She was extremely kind and hopeful in the world. And so that was my upbringing. So although it wasn't traditional in the sense that, you know, my family dynamics were may not have looked similar to someone else, it was beautiful in that I was surrounded by love. And I think 
that carries into who I am as a person and especially in the two most important roles in my life. And that is being a wife and a mother. And I am very fortunate. I have married my best friend. We've known each other since we were five, (laughs) the same kindergarten class together. (laughs) So he is like that person when things go well, that's the first person I want to talk to. And maybe when things don't go all that great, still the first person I want to talk to. And, And together we have three amazing kids. Um, they're definitely who we want to be when we grow up. They are adventurous and brave and they love well. They want to serve people and they just have this courage destined to see beyond what is now. And they make me feel like being a better person, just being around them. And, and we're empty nesters are all grown. Our youngest is actually in Italy right now, studying abroad at Gonzaga University, seeing the world, taking a whole new light on how to serve others. And those are the two roles that I feel have been impacted in the way that my grandmother um, gave me life experiences. And in all honesty, if I'm not successful in those two roles, then I'm not really, nothing else really matters. And so that is definitely rooted in who I am. And when I take the time to pause about the connection between my personal life, my professional life. I'm who I am in my professional life because of that personal experience. Mm -hmm. I served as, um, right now I serve as a coach uh, for Leader Me and a podcast host. Um, Prior to that, I served as a um, teacher. I wanted, that was my aspiration in the world, to be the best third grade bilingual teacher in the world, led to a story of middle school, which I'm sure we can talk about a little bit later. Um, which is where I truly found out who I was as a middle school teacher, taught me a lot of lessons and uh, eventually a coach in building leader and college instructor. Um, but it, but it, it's all full circle and it's all rooted in my mission, which is to love and serve in the kindest of ways. So mm. I think that gives you a little bit of who I am and <laughs> what I, I, I love about I, what I get to do. <laughs> it, how, how long have you had that mission? So you just said you get to love and serve, right? What's the mm-hmm. mission thing again? to love and serve in the kindest of ways. It was when I went through my very own seven habits workshop as a a school leader um, that that has happened and it's tweaked along the way. It's got shorter and shorter and shorter. And and now it's just kind of, I feel like I need a tap. Well, I'm not brave enough to get a physical tattoo, Dustin, but definitely a mental tattoo. I think that lives with me for sure. (laughs) Well, I didn't think I'd be asking a question like this, but since you put out the, the information of knowing your husband, since you guys were five, uh, what kind of a, a relationship advice do you have for the rest of us who met our soulmates much later or are looking for them right now? <laughs> that, that is great. That's a great question, Dustin. You know, it's interesting. I think uh, just, I think, knowing each other, right? Just knowing your vulnerabilities and unconditionally loving, but having fun. I think humor is a big part of our life. We love to laugh together and find time together. And really, I think when you have three kids that you're going a mile a minute and, you know, in different seasons of your life is just taking the idea of quality versus quantity. And just when you have the time to just spend it together and, and authentically love each other, right? Doesn't I think sometimes we put these grandioso ideas of what love should be or what a relationship should be, but it's what's best for you. And and knowing the other person, what do they love? What is their love language? How did, you know, how do you interact? I just think it's, it's quality versus quantity and being truly present. I think it's so easy for us to be in other places 
I don't yeah. know. Did that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, that love language thing is no joke, though. It's not easy because oh, my yeah. wife, I think, would rather me take out the trash than buy her a gift or something. Yeah. So uh, it's something to learn over time for sure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So back to education. So uh, that story of your grandmother and how it impacted you is really powerful. And so I know you kind of hinted at it, hinted at that experience being kind of a catalyst for the career path you chose. I'm curious, when you became a teacher, where did you teach? You know, like what type of environment did you teach in? And why did you choose to go that route versus teach anywhere else? Yeah, it's great. And I think a lot of that evolves as we go deeper and learn more about ourselves as human beings. I I wanted to be a third grade bilingual teacher since forever. I mean, I just, I distinctly remember sitting on my grandma's, my grandmother's lap and her asking, you know, what did I want to do with my life? And I remember Dustin saying, I was going to be the first woman president of the world, like (laughs) ever, or I was going to be, you know, an educator, a teacher. And I, I joke all the time that I chose the tougher of the two. And it's just what I wanted. And I'm going to tell you, it goes back to the people we had in our lives. My third grade teacher was amazing. Mr. Bell. Um, I don't necessarily remember anything like academic that we learned other than he thought. I mean, I can remember being little and we didn't have a car like, and I had missed the bus one day. I was trying to do homework before um, <laughs> I ran out to the bus and I missed the bus. And I was adamant that I was not going to miss school. I walked eight miles across the train tracks in a busy street just to get to his class. Like I refused not to be at school. It took, I think I got there like at lunchtime walking all the way from home, which my grandmother didn't know until afterwards because I didn't want to say I missed the bus. Um, but I, that's who he was. And I, you wanted to show up every day because you knew that you were going to be loved when you got into his class. And so that's really, I think my starting point is wanting to be that for somebody and to be able to do it in, in my community that I grew up in a little girl. Um, Surprise Arizona is now, I mean, it went through hyper growth. So now it's like the hub of spring training in Arizona. However, it didn't, it wasn't always that way. It was a very small community of migrant um, families. It um, We served Luke Air Force Base. And then really there wasn't a lot in between. So a lot of just impoverished communities. And um, I wanted to be a teacher in my community. I wanted to give back the same way Mr. Bell gave back to me. So um, it, we weren't we weren't expected um, destined to graduate from high school in our community at that time. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal to have eighth grade graduation, which sounds so silly to say now, but that was like the pivotal moment of school. And for those of us that went beyond, I mean, it was a huge, you know, just honor to graduate from high school. And I can remember thinking you know, applying for a scholarship my senior year. And I, this comes like, I can remember this conversation, like instantly, the person that was interviewing us said, you know, if you don't get this scholarship, it's going to be okay, sweetie, you came a long way, like you graduated from eighth grade. And now you graduated from high school, you're going to make a beautiful secretary for somebody. And I just remember, like, uh. I, I know the person meant that kindly, Dustin. I just, but I just remember that moment of like, wait, what? Like, if, if that's someone's aspiration, beautiful. However, I just felt this internal burn, like, I want more. I want to give back to my community. I wanted to serve as a teacher. And fortunately, I was able to earn that scholarship and go off to college. But um, it was just, it was like those pivotal milestone lessons for me to really hold on to, that I wanted to make sure that every child knew that if they chose to go to college, if they chose to further their education, if they chose to go into vocation, that they can do it, that they're going to shine, that they've got this, that they can. And so 
teaching was going to help me do that. And so I started out, that was, that was a lot to tell you. I started out no, teaching um, in, in wanting to come back to my community. At that time in Arizona, it was a very different time in education. There was a lot of going back and forth between the legalities of bilingual education, which was interesting to me as a student because that's where I, my passion lied. And the other part was there was a surplus of teachers. So in the tiny district that I grew up in at, at that moment in education, there was only three elementary schools and one high school. So they weren't hiring. So the neighboring city was, it was inner city and it was in the, um, the Glendale elementary school district was, which was amazing. And it was exactly where I needed to be and learned amazing life lessons. Our school building uh, was literally built in the seventies. So there were no walls. And then they realized maybe that would be a better idea to put some walls up. So they had these, um, just like temporary partition walls. So if you leaned on them too hard, you'd end up in someone else's classroom. Yep. But, but we had no doors. So it was amazing because we got to see like all the greatness happening in the classrooms. And so that's really where my journey began as a teacher. I was a fourth grade ESL teacher at the time. Um, and it was life taught me so many lessons and I'm so grateful for my first teaching experience. So that's where it started. So you you talked about the, the gentleman who inspired you. I wonder... You know, your a lot of your role now is helping uh, educators become those type of teachers. What are the critical ingredients that you, you know, have seen over your time, or you coach people to, to being able to build a classroom culture where students aspire to be more and aspire to walk miles and miles to get to, to your classroom? Yeah, you know, it's. There's a, a someone that was a strong mentor in my life used to say this. It was St. Francis Assisi's words, and it was preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. And so when I start to think about that, every single mentor in my life was never about what they said, Dustin. It was always about what how they treated people, how they made people feel. Like you would have conversations with them, and regardless of whether you thought you could do or not do the thing they were asking, you did the thing because they they breathe this life into you. And I think when we think about the foundation of those ingredients, it has to do with how we see people, how we hear people, how we love people, and look beyond, you know, that whatever's in front of us right now. And, and just to kind of show you how this happens in, in real life is that all I wanted to do, Dustin, was to be the best third grade bilingual teacher in the world. I had no aspirations of being a principal, no aspirations of being a podcast. I was like, that's insanity. Like that was built for somebody else. What was built for me is to love kids, have my own classroom and do everything I possibly could to make sure that they knew that they could. Mm. And I'll just... I'll go back to my first year of teaching. We didn't have doors. And so our principal, we'd see our principal walk, you know, she always had a business suit on and she had these tennis shoes that she would just run the hallways with, you know, helping to support people. And going into my second year, I saw her little feet pitter-pattering going really fast. And all of a sudden she halted right in front of my room. And I, I remember thinking like that nervous feeling of like, oh my gosh, my principal is in my room. <laughs> just that natural fear I think we have because we have so much admiration for our leaders. She comes in and she says, hey, I want to talk to you after school. Can you stop by my office? Dustin, I worried about that all day. Like, oh my gosh, like did I do something I wasn't supposed to? Did I not teach the lesson right? So here I am in her office and she says, hey, she's like, we have this amazing opportunity. We're going to start this new thing in education. And it's called multi-age. 
And she's like, we would really love for you to consider doing that. I thought, not knowing any better. I said, um, Tony, I, I don't think I could do that. Like I could really mess up kids. Like I, like I've only been doing this a couple of years. And she said, no, we believe in you. You've got this. I think it's, you're going to be great for the pilot. So did that for a couple of years and I fell in love with it. And I thought, okay, so I thought it was going to be just, you know, a bilingual teacher, but now I get to be a bilingual teacher to multiple grade levels at one time. Like, this is really what I was meant to do and did that for a while. And then my principal comes and says, Hey, we have this amazing pilot coming up and it's called looping in education. And it's where you're going to go from one grade level to the other. It's just going to be phenomenal. We want you to try it gave her my famous line, like, you should really think about this because I don't know. I mean, I'm so new at this. I could really mess up kids and fell in love with it, Justin. It was amazing because you knew where your kids were at. You had the relationship piece. You knew the families really well. And I just distinctly remember thinking after two years, if I can't help support my students in mastering standards, that's a good reflection piece for me. So that happened. And then Fast forward five years later, and the principal says, hey, we see the way that you build relationships with students. We'd like for you to be a middle school language arts teacher. And I said, yeah, no, they're funnier than me. They dress better than me. And they're bigger than me. Like, I'm not teaching middle school. Like, that's just, that's insanity. Ended up, because she believed in me, ended up teaching middle school for 10 years. It's the favorite face of time with, with young humans that I love and it carves so much of who I am. Fast forward then, this new position in education called an instructional coach came about. And the, the principal says, hey, I was gonna teach eighth grade and middle school. Says, we'd like you to consider the instructional coach position instead. And I'm thinking, that's insanity. Like I've only been doing this for like 10 years. Like I can't, can't do that. What, what am I gonna offer to, to veteran teachers that have been doing this their whole entire life? The pattern continued, Justin, like they, Whatever it was, someone saw worth and potential in me, even when I couldn't see it in myself. And it just continues. And I think that is the recipe for just a staple of relationship building and seeing the worth and potential in our students so greatly that they believe it in themselves. And that's what it's about. To me, those are those, those ingredients that need to happen. The skills and the structures, those all come and we build those. None of that can happen doesn't matter where we teach or what space we're in. If we don't build relationships with students and we don't let them see the possibility that once, whatever it is we're in, whether it's a, a piece of trauma we're experiencing, whatever it is, it's a moment in time. It's not the rest of time. And so just kind of understanding that that relationship becomes a source of everything and, and breathing life and verbalizing the greatness we see, I think, in our students is life-changing. It changed my life. I'm a product of that. So as an administrator, how, how do you balance, how did you, or how do you advise uh, principals or, you know, superintendents, I guess, uh, to create environments where relationships are first and foremost, the most important thing, while at the same time, getting the results that the state department expects that the uh, local school board expects that parents expect, because that, that one, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, they don't, they don't have to be going polar opposites, but like I find folks struggle with that from sometimes. Yeah. And I go back to, it begins with ways that we effectively build trust in a building. When, when there is high trust in a building, it accelerates everything, including your proficiency rates. 
one of the things that we had to look at with our school is that we were, there was a huge void of trust. When I became a principal, I was prepared for the trauma of the students. Basically, the boundary for my um, school was really the boundaries of where I grew up as a little girl. So I was ready for that. Um, Dustin, I was ready for the trauma. What I was not ready for was a trauma of the adults and the void of trust. And so we knew that's where our work was anchored. And it goes back to modeling what we expect. And it's, it's a process that takes time and that we're intentional and that we make transparent and that we vocalize it. And in the same ways that we build that trust in the classroom. I think the first piece is being able to model what does that look and sound like for your staff and, and vocalize, right? So I know for us, we brought our staff together and we had conversations. Let's dream. Where do we want to be in three years? Where do we want to be academically in three years? Where do we want to be with in our relationship buildings in three years? Where do what do we want for our students and what do we want for ourselves? So we actually mapped it all out down to every single aspect of what we wanted for our school. And then we worked backwards. Okay, this is what we want in three years. At the end of year one, what would show that we were successful so that it was tangible? So if I was a first grade teacher, I could say, okay, so for our first grade team, this is what it looks and sounds like. If I'm an eighth grade teacher, I say, okay, so for my eighth graders, this is what it looks and sounds like. So being really clear on what our vision was, was huge for us. So modeling the trust. So anything I was asking my teachers to do, Dustin, I was right there doing it with them. Like my sleeves are rolled up and we were doing the same exact thing. I was tutoring. I was modeling lessons, all those things, because it was a lot of work in the beginning, but sure, it sure did pay off. And by year three, Dustin, not only were we where we said we were, we were well beyond because we had clear vision. We were all working on it together. We were aligning every system in our building to go and to work towards what we were going after. And that allowed me, once we had that, that allowed me to help coach potential. And so we were really a whole collective team versus just a few people doing the work. And it, it really is what I'm describing is really our foundation of leader and me. It's what we believe into the core. Um, but what we, what my staff, we all got to experience is that when we do that, you can't stop academic achievement. And so in a, in a short amount of time being laser-like focused, we had our proficiency rates drastically increase. And, and our students were a part of the process. Instead of it being something that was done to them, they were a part of the process. That's awesome. Uh, when you come into a new building, how? what are some strategies to like di uh, diagnose the trust in the building, right? Because I know, I mean, most educators uh, like us, like we, we've got high EQ, um, or many of them do. And so when you come in there, a lot of the folks who get hired have high EQ and can sense it. But how do you diagnose it? And how do you talk about it in a way that doesn't offend, especially if you're an outsider coming into a new yeah. staff that's been there for years. Yeah, I, I have to tell you, because I'm going to come back to it really does deal with the heart first. And then once we have that solid, it really does move. And it and sometimes that's hard for us to grapple with because we want that, that, that end result so badly. And it's also in all reality, it's a piece that we get judged on, right? There's so many other components that we know build strong systems, but this one component we get so fixated on. Um, I will tell you how, because our school was really, it was a turnaround school. I mean, my assistant superintendent was extremely forthcoming with me and said, just so you know, Molly, I want you to know, this is where teachers go to die. Like that was the comment that was made to me. And I was thinking, okay, you know what? That's all right. We got this. Like we're going to talk PLCs. We're going to talk green research. We're going to talk Marzano strategies. Like it's pretty good. That first week of school, Dustin, I cried like a baby. I was like, 
what? I just remember my husband telling me, you can do this. Like you put your big girl twenties on and you got this, like you can do this. And I just, it was insane. And so I will, I'm just going to tell you a little bit of our leader me journey. Cause it's hard to talk about our school without talking about leader me. I was exposed to something I'd never been exposed to. Like I said earlier, I was ready for the trauma of the students. I wasn't ready for the trauma of the adults. I mean, I was breaking up fights between adults in the hallways. Um, I had a, I had a staff member stand up in a PD and say, we're not effing doing that. Like it was, it was intense. Um, but one of our reading interventionists had came across the leader me the book. And so she said, Hey, Molly, I think this, this might be something we could consider. So read the book in tears saying, this is, this is it. Like, this is what we need. Like, this is, this is speaking our language, but I knew that there was low trust. Like there was no way we were ever going to reach high academic achievement. If the people that I was supposed to be leading didn't trust me and they were just experiencing, I mean, the, tr- the lack of trust was from experience. So I knew I had to authentically build that. And so I just asked one of our teams that had longevity in our building. They had been there a very long time. And I said, Hey, I have this book. <laughs> Will you read it with me? I said, every Thursday, 30 minutes of your time, I'll feed you dinner. Like, let's just have conversation about this book. No strings attached. Just, I want to know what you honestly think. So we read the book, went through a book study and we were in tears, all of us in tears. Like we got to bring this to the staff. So together with the team, we talked about the possibility and the comments from the staff were, Hey, what do we have to lose? Like we're already here. Like let's, I guess we'll do it. So I called the client partner at the time here in Arizona and I'm a first year principal. (laughs) So I'm extremely naive, right? I don't really know how things work. So I get the client partner on the phone. I bring students in with me on the speaker phone because I'm thinking that's going to make it, right? So the students are in there with me. We're high-fiving. So they're, ta- they're telling the client partner about how amazing our school is going to be and you know how they're leaders. And, and this really is aligned to what Ms. Garcia said because they didn't know. They were just repeating what I had asked them to repeat. And so I'll, just, I'll never forget the client partner says, this is great, Molly. Can you have the kids leave the room? <laughs> They left the room. I'm high-fiving them, telling them they did a great job. And, and, and so we start to talk, you know, about like the cost and what it would mean. And my title budget was already spent before I got there. I think I had like $5,000. And so yep. obviously that wasn't enough to, to implement Leader Me. However, the client partner was listening to us and said, hey, why don't we start with the Seven Habits Workshop? Let's do that. And so we we. We're high five. We're super excited. We had money in the budget for that. And my office manager, who was phenomenal, said, so Molly, where, what pocket of funding are we going to use to pay the teachers to come in? Because this is in the summertime. And I was like, you know where this is going, Justin. I was like, I don't have, there's no money in M&O. Like I have no way to pay teachers. All I knew how to do was be completely transparent. And I just, something inside of me said, we've got to work on us first before we can do anything else. So I literally, we're getting ready to go out for summer. I have this PowerPoint deck that is all transparent. And I just said, you know what? This is where our funding sources are. This is what we can do. This is what we're hoping to be able to jump into. If this is a possibility, I understand you may not be able to come because this is your family time. And I want to honor that. So you let me know if you can be here. Great. If not, you know, we'll figure out how to train you when you get back. So I looked at my dad, especially I said, this is going to be the most expensive workshop that you and I have ever attended. Cause I was pretty sure it was just going to be her and I um, fast forward to that moment in time. And every single teacher showed up for free, for free Dustin in a culture where that was unheard of. And that was our tipping point. 
we use the seven habits to drive every decision we made. We called each other out when we weren't living the habits. We were modeling that for students. And I say all of that because you have to have the realization that to get those academic achievements, and I'm not talking about small wins, because reality, you can get small wins by, you know, force feeding something into a system that isn't sustainable, and you can increase points here and there. That's not what we're going after. We're going after sustainable results that students can own that are going to be with them forever, and you will flourish. And so we just committed year one. We're going to be all about creating leadership principles and opportunities for the adults and the students and our families. And that's going to be coupled with creating systems for leadership opportunities and voice and choice. And we decided that was going to be our year one. And we mapped it out. What we found was it allowed us a safe space to go into academics a lot sooner than we were anticipating. And we brought in the four disciplines of execution. And that's a goal achievement process that allowed it to be focused instead of overwhelming. So that's what I would, that's what I would recommend. We've got to help heal and build trust because when you're academically, you know, not where you know you should be. I mean, if we think we know that, kids know that, they know they've got to be in a safe space to take risks and to be able to be vulnerable enough to say, yeah, I know I'm four years behind grade level and I'm going to crush it. Like I, I got this. You have to create that environment. It's not a nice to have. It's a must have. It's a platform for the rest. It sounds like the seven habits is kind of the heart, right? And you got to start with the heart from your perspective. And the four disciplines of execution for you would be the the head, um, right? The brain. Like, I mean, again, that's just an operating system. What what was your experience to, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about for the folks who don't know the four disciplines of execution. We've had guests on here, but there may be new folks who aren't familiar with it. Tell us a little bit about what it is and how it looked and felt in your building. Yeah. So I'm going to channel my inner Lynn Kaczynski. She is really the amazing leader in this space. So what was, what was helpful for us is 4DX became that goal achievement process. It became our framework, those disciplines that we were going to commit to. So it's really based off of being really clear on what is our biggest need. So we looked at our guide and, and here's the thing that was a reality. We needed growth in everything, right? We knew we couldn't take it on. So we looked at what was the most important, right? What was the one area for our students in reading and math that would really help us gain traction, right? And it it, it differed a little bit per grade level, but really helping, number one, our teachers look at the data, not let the data be scary and not let it be about judgment, right? So, and that's why the seven habits helped us in that space because our teachers understood that it's not judgment it's how can we be focused to move more effectively? So first looking at what's most wildly important and that's a focused area and putting it in a format of X to Y by when. So where are we now? Where do you wanna be? And by when we're gonna get there. So we had a target. So that was our first layer. Then we were strategic. So we looked at curriculum pieces and instructional strategies that we already had in place that were leveraged in good practice that we knew were good for students. And we took two content pieces that we already had, right? For us, it was 95% intervention group um, content for our intervention groups. And then Galileo, which was an assessment piece that we used that had lessons that were already familiar to our teachers. So those are the two things that we were going to commit to. It wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't, um, you know, taking something completely different, but it was very focused. And we knew it would produce results if we did it with a strong cadence. 
we scoreboarded. The scoreboards were fun. It was that game on switch, just like Sean calls it, where the kids could see collectively that we were making games. They were in the hallways. We were celebrating. We were high five. We did dance parties in the hallway with music. We did jump rope with the principal. Like we did all tape the principal to the wall. We didn't care. All we cared about is that our kids knew that they could do this and that they got this. And then we talked about that just before, which is that cadence of accountability, which is all about having conversation. Uh, you know, I wish we could change the word accountability to reflection because I think sometimes the word accountability in education is like a four letter word, like nobody wants to hear it anymore. But it's about reflection, letting students have conversations about their growth and what they can do to impact that growth. And then as adults, having conversations with ourselves about what practices could we put in place to support our students. So, you know, I know I did that kind of fast, but that really became our operating system for everything. And here's a really cool thing. When we introduced 40X to our staff, we did it away from academics because most of our students were underperforming. And so what we did was we brought it into a way that wasn't like they didn't they weren't worried about failing at it. So we did it fun ways like a wellness goal or, you know, something that in their personal life, like soccer or, you know, anything to kind of connect them to learn the process first. And then we snuck in academics as a whole class. So they were all working together as a team. And then we brought it in individually. So we, we tried to make it more about teaching the process so kids could own it. Mm. And then we brought it into academics, which worked out really nicely. So our, here's a really cool thing. Our kids learned it so well, Dustin, they wigged everything out. Like if they saw an issue in the cafeteria, oh, we need a wig for that, Mrs. Garcia. Like we need a wig. Like we need to figure that out. So they didn't necessarily see it as just an academic tool. They saw it as a life tool. Like how do we get better? What's the difference uh, between, I mean, every educator that I know, no matter what state they've been in, knows all about SMART goals or has had some exposure to SMART goals. What's the difference between... SMART goals and the process that a lot of educators have gone through for that and your experience with the four disciplines? Well, I think we're all experts at SMART goals. I think we leave college being very aware of, you know, specific measurable attainable results driven in a timely manner. And you can kind of change with that a little bit. And I think a possible way to look at it is that's really discipline one, right? Being so focused on what we want, being specific. But 40X is about goal achievement. It's about achieving your goal with excellence, not just about setting a goal. So think about, I always think about it as it's the SMART goal idea on steroids. Like we're, we're actually bringing you with actionable steps, ways to check in your progress so you can visually see where you're at. So you have that constant reminder of, hey, we've got this, we're moving forward. And then to be able to talk about it, to talk about what's going well, and then maybe sometimes to talk about, hey, this, we're not making the progress that we were anticipating. Where do we need to pivot? Where do we need to shift? So it's really more of a a goal achievement process. It's about accomplishing your goal and crushing your goal versus just setting the goal, right? I always think about it as like standing on the scale. Like I could, if I want to lose weight, that's I just keep on standing on the scale, riding my weight, standing on the scale, riding my weight. Like I'm aware of my goal. I've set a goal, but I haven't really, you know what I mean? I haven't really set any steps to do that. So if someone's listening, before we transition to talking about your podcast, if somebody's listening, what's the best way they can learn more about the four disciplines of execution for their schools or their district? (laughs) For the people who are listening, uh, Molly is holding up a book right now for us. This is, this is the book that goes with me. It's the four disciplines of execution for educators. So if, if, 
it, I'm even just a person listening, thinking, okay, what is this thing that this crazy lady's talking about? Um, Lynn Kaczynski and Meg Thompson and Sean Covey have done a beautiful job of taking 40X and bringing it into what does that realistically look like in a school. Um, they can definitely reach out to their coaches out in their states to walk through that. But I will tell you, it is it was a game changer for us as a school. We would not have been who we were and how we made progress if it wasn't for embracing the four disciplines. Like I think it is just a, a, a structure that once it's part of the DNA of your school and you jump into it, it it really just, you can't see not having it there in your school. So I would say the first thing is pick this up, uh, maybe listen to a couple of podcasts where Lynn and Sean and Meg are on just to kind of walk through it. And then of course, reach out to your coaches. That's awesome. I, I, I too uh, use the four disciplines principles before we even had a book for educators, you know, a decade ago with uh, my school district and other school districts I got to work with. And I, I couldn't agree enough. Personally, the power of helping you go accomplish your goals is something that um, changed my life and hopefully it's changed the life of many more folks. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And, so yeah. Before, before we run out of time, I do want to dive into your amazing podcast, The Empowering Teacher. So tell me just real quickly what it's about and who's it for. Yeah. So it is really built um, as just a platform. We have an amazing team that really is led to serve our educators. We want our teachers, our principals, superintendents, directors to listen in and in a short amount of time, walk out with um, a strategy, something that's practical and tactical that they can implement tomorrow in their classroom. So the idea is bringing the genius from those educators that are in the buildings today. They're, you know, if you call them, they'd be in their classroom and just talking about how are they making it happen and and, and those small strategies that can have a huge impact in their lives. And so we're, it's really built for our teachers by our teachers. Um, yeah. And sharing their, their genius. I mean, the, the onset of our podcast was really the onset of the pandemic. And hands down, Dustin, I will tell you, every single episode, I literally, I get, it's emotional because these are educators that are making it happen when things are so different in education that they've never experienced this before. Even this year, a lot of our guests, you know, had shared that they were hopeful that it would be something close to normal, but it's proven to be the most difficult year. And so listening to how they're impacting students every single day has been amazing. So you're, they're going to be hearing from their own colleagues um, yep. from buildings of schools across the globe. Yeah, I think that's what's really struck me on listening to your podcast is, um, first off, you're just incredibly genuine with folks. So like you make your, your guests really comfortable and you're very interested in the topic as well as the person. So the dialogue is just really smooth and everyone seems to be really engaged. Also, I feel, um, I don't know if this is true, but at least the illusion is there from my perspective is they're very well thought out, meaning, you know, it's, you can get in and out of them 20, 30 minutes. I don't know how long you like you cap it, but I feel like most of them fit into that range. And I do feel like, you know, as a former teacher, it follows a clear lesson plan where I can build off it and see, I can feel the learning happen. Is that something intentionally you do, or is that something that I just kind of gathered because of your talent over time? No, I think, I think our team was intentional. I think really trying to put ourselves in the mindset and the shoes of our educator and how we would like just progress through understanding why this strategy would be impactful. I think sometimes we 
see a strategy, but no one really talks to us about how did we end up at that strategy and what does it, what was the problem or what was the issue that helped us come to that point? And so letting our teachers just kind of guide what that process should be like is where it came from. But that's our goal. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I, I think the topics you've chosen also shows um, your understanding of where educators are at. I mean, you've got from burnout to balance, from uncertainty to opportunity, from a job to a calling while we're struggling with job. Like, I mean, it feels like your your subjects as well as the guests are chosen very intentionally to speak to the heart of an educator of where they are most likely at, at that given time, you know, I know it's every other week, but like, uh, that's something that I assume you guys have been really intentional to make happen. Is that correct? Yeah. And we, we want to make sure we're serving our teachers. So we ask them, what do you need? I mean, this is about them. This is about serving them in a, and just an unpredictable season and beyond. And so we really do. We are very intentional about getting feedback from them. What do you need? Well, how can we serve you? That's our, that's our mission is to serve them um, in the capacity of leading their classrooms, leading the school building, leading a district. Yeah. So I know uh, I would not really love the question if I was on your side of this podcast, but you know, cause you don't want to hear like, well, what was your favorite podcast? Because every one of them is so unique, but I am curious. Um, and so it's not really about the guests. It's more of like the topic. What was, what was one of your most memorable or a couple of your most memorable topics that, um, really surprised you, I guess. I mean, as you're going into it, you prepared, but when you got in the depth of the conversation, it just really hit your heart in a way that you weren't prepared for. Esten, that is, that is an unfair question. <laughs> Thank you for acknowledging that, but you not wanting to have to be on the other end of that. I will tell you, I, every single episode, it doesn't matter who the guest is. Um, if they bring me to tears every single time in the pre-conversation before we, you know, hit record into the thinking them at the end, like it just is because I, I can't stop thinking about how much gratitude and just admiration I have for our guests, for our teachers. I mean, they are making it happen. And I, I go back to, Yes, I was a teacher, coach, principal, but not during a pandemic. And there's a whole new level of just grit and resilience and love that it's just amplified. And it's so inspiring. I will tell you, um, every single episode, I think, connects to every single listener in a different way. There's one that stopped me in my tracks. Um, it, It was in season one, and it was Matthew Trevino. He is a Grammy nominated um teacher and a music teacher out in Roan Forest in Texas. And his was all about um, enduring hardship and embracing hope. And he, he shared a very um, personal story with our listeners about how he had lost um, his baby at three months old um, and how he and his wife really found strength by leaning in and leaning into hardship versus you know, running away from the hardship. And I just remember thinking like that in itself to be able to say, to lean into hardship, like the vulnerability and courage it takes to be aware of that and to move in action. And he he talked about a place of wanting to make his children proud of him, including the little one that they had just lost. And he wanted to serve as an inspiration to them and, and wanted to model that and to know that trauma is a moment in time versus seeing it as the rest of time. And I, it stopped me, Dustin, like in my tracks. And I thought the power of that paradigm, the power of him having that, he and his wife, and then sharing that 
vulnerability with our listeners because it just showed the care of teachers. Like educators want to hold on and inspire each other in this work that we do and that he was willing to do that was just so powerful. He, you know, the, the rest of the episode really talks about being mission driven and the joy that comes out of living our purpose. And, and it's not a perfect journey for sure. Um, but he talks about how it's a beautiful journey. And I just thought he is the, he is expressing the epitome of what it means to be an educator, what it means to, to let children know that they're loved, they're seen, that they're heard. And maybe letting all human beings know that. And it, it was just, it, it comes back to me all the time. Every time I think of his name, it, I get really emotional because um, it, he was just a model of what we all hope to aspire to be. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's stops me in my tracks every time. That's great. I, uh, I mean, I, again, for anybody who's listening, who um, has a heart of an educator, has a teacher in their life, um, or as a leader in education in their life, go, go listen to this podcast. Um, again, it's only 20, 30 minutes per episode. It's every other week. Is that right, Molly? You guys yeah, twice, talking, a month, yeah. twice a month. And so, uh, they're in and out. They're really inspiring. And as you can tell from listening to Molly, um, it's very heartfelt and genuine. And so, um, it, it just, it just comes out and comes very natural. The conversation is really fun to listen into. Um, so before, we let you go. We have a few questions we've been asking every guest this season. First one is what habits or disciplines do you have on a daily or weekly basis that set you up to be the best version of yourself? Wow. Another great <laughs> question. I, I think just, you know, just waking up with a grateful heart. I think every morning when my feet hit the ground, I'm alive which means that we get to live out our purpose. I think just having that awareness and ferociously wanting to learn, like just knowing that we've never arrived. I'm a big um, podcast and books person. So I try to, every moment I have is whether I'm in the airport, driving to a school, whether I'm on an airplane, you know, my nightstand, just taking in the brilliance of others and applying it to my life. I think that's consistent, but it, I think just, being grateful every day when I see people telling them how much I love them, how much they mean to me, um, hugging and squeezing my husband and my kids. They're all, you know, in different parts of the, the world of the world, but just even with words, letting them know um, how much gratitude and love I have for them. I think that's just a habit that no matter the day, no matter if it's a great day or a challenging day that I'm going to let people know how much they're loved. So it's a practice that happens all the time. That's awesome. I think it's so powerful when you, I got, you know, a, a kid's song that I had at church forever ago. It was like, this is the day this is, and like, it's in my head every morning. It's crazy. Um, but cause I I've had a good mentor in my life. Talk to me about, um, you were made for the day and the day was made for you. So you have like today is what you have and that is it. And so, uh, it's refreshing to hear you wake up with that kind of focus. And just by doing that, if you just honor the day that quickly, it probably puts on a different pair of glasses for you to look at the rest of the day, right? Yeah, absolutely. Whether I'm stuck in an airport or in traffic. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that's powerful. Um, all right. So next question, what book or books, if you want, have you read in your lifetime that was life-changing or one that's recently on your heart that just uh, you think everybody needs to check out? Oh, goodness. Great. So I am a layered book reader. So I have books that I read on the road that I read in the hotel that are here in front of my desk. Sound like my you, yeah. <laughs> They're amazing. And usually like, 
like I just finished Atomic Habits in the five second rule. My older son is like, mom, read these. They're so aligned to the content you get to be a part of. I will tell you though, the, the book that I just re-listened to, because I just had a long drive from some of my California schools back out to here to Arizona. And I think every educator, every human being needs to read this book um, multiple times. It's called The Deepest Well by Nadine Burke Harris. And she really talks about the long-term impact of childhood adversity. I just think it gives us a lens to understand beyond just what we're, you know, we might hear at a surface level, but to really understand um, the opportunity for us to, to help and to understand. Um, but I would definitely say that's a, and I, this is my second go around with it. And every time something else connects to the, the deepest well, is that what it's called? Yeah. The deepest well. And it's by Nadine Burke Harris. Put in anything Enneagram. Like, I'm jumping into anything Enneagram. I just read the sacred Enneagram and um, Jen Hearn, uh, one of our amazing um, colleagues, recommended uh, the journey towards wholeness. So I don't know if any listeners out there are into that, but those are two great reads. <laughs> oh, Jen Hearn. Jen Hearn and I have been friends since she was a teacher. I love that woman and yeah. she is so inspiring. Yeah. And I mean, from the moment I met her, she lit up my world. So I'm jealous <laughs> that you get a chance to talk to her. And yeah. she's so uh, next question, uh, we got two more. So uh, second to last question would be, um, you know, when you're driving around or when you're working out or walking around the neighborhood and you have your headphones in, what type of music, what type of artists, what type of songs, what songs, specific songs have you got them or on your playlist? <laughs> So I will, so anything cumbia. So I feel like that music, it's just Latin inspired music gets me up and moving and excited. And, you know, sometimes I don't have, you know, when we're traveling from here to there, um, walking in the airport becomes my exercise. And so as long as I put in like cumbia Kings or anything like that, I'm like, I, I probably look crazy ridiculous. And people are like, why is that lady walking fast and dancing as she goes down the tarmac? But, um, <laughs> anything Latin, I think, um, Anything uh, cumbia related is what I love. Um, but I listen to every type of music. I think kind of jumping in there. Sometimes my kids will send me, hey, mom, check out this song. And I'm all about it. I'm also someone that doesn't necessarily know the words to songs. I make them up. Just in <laughs> <laughs> I have one more clarifying question. So since uh, both of our jobs have us travel from time to time, when you work out in the hotel gym, and let's say you decide to get on the treadmill. Are you uh, just doing the normal walk run with the Latin music? Or are you one of those that make TikTok and Twitter of somebody else in the room filming them secretly because you're dancing while you're doing whatever your exercise is? People are probably making a TikTok of this crazy lady on the treadmill. Because All right. Cumbia music, you can't just walk. Like you instantly start going really fast. So. Uh, yeah, I just kind of decided that I'm at an age where I'm okay with that. It's gonna so be we, we, I think we have a mutual friend. I know we definitely have some as a colleague that we both work with. I just don't know how much time you've got to spend around her, but there's a woman named Erica Tyson who I love dearly and yeah, lives yeah. in my city with me. Uh, and I, anytime I come across something on Instagram, I'm, uh, I've just experienced her treadmill routine before, which is like so much joy in her heart that she's just got to dance and share it. So anytime I see those on TikTok, Twitter, anywhere, I capture them and I text them to her immediately just because it That's makes awesome. me smile every time I see it. Cause it's like, you can't hold back. You're just that joyful. The music's <laughs> doing something to you that you yeah. got to let it out some way. Yeah. Uh, hands down. Totally. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, 
<laughs> Last question. Uh, you know, you you are around a lot of amazing leaders um, and educators. I'm curious, what's the best piece of leadership or change advice that you've come across recently? It could be a quote that you saw on Instagram, or it could be a conversation you had with a student or a teacher or a principal recently. Dustin, there are so many. I think I'm always in awe. If, every, every time I get an opportunity to walk into a school building, um, what's consistent, I'm going to go back to that original quote that we talked about. Um, it's St. Francis of CC, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. If I think back to the just mentors that are with me today or that are in my heart, they do, they did, that's exactly how they live their life. It wasn't, you know, how, what they were telling people it's, it's how they modeled and how they lived by example that really changed and transformed those around them. And when I look into our buildings today, that's exactly what our leaders are doing. That's what our student leaders are doing. That's what our educators in the classroom, in the building, in the district level, they're modeling. And I think that's really what it comes out to. I mean, we could, uh, you know, talk about Eve's amazing research behind mirror neurons, but it's, it's what it is. It's, it's just modeling for people. We, we let it be seen that this can happen. And I think when we live in that way, we have such a great impact and we learn from people. I mean, if we think about ourselves and the people that have been impactful in our lives, it's not necessarily what they just said. It's what they said and what they did completely matched. And it led us to believe that great things are going to happen. Yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, I, I try to not take many notes while I'm talking so I can be fully present. But uh, when you when you threw that quote out there earlier, preach the gospel, when Esther used words, that one hit me like a ton of bricks. So I'm glad that you circled back to that. I didn't know if you would, but uh, is one that I will definitely highlight some more. Well, so Molly, this has been great. I know we've got a hard stop now. So thank you for this time. Thank you for your sincerity, your passion and love for the work that you do. And again, for those folks who have not listened to your podcast, I cannot encourage people enough to go over to The Empowering Teacher. You can find it on any anywhere you listen to podcasts, you know, Apple, Spotify, anywhere else. Um, it's just, a, it's a great listen. And as you can tell, you have someone who is 100% genuine and authentic every time you talk to her. Thank you, Justin. It was amazing. Thanks for your time. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.